Now I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm not, but it's just, it's this point where now it's like, it's, you really do start to begin to see it when you do the work in yourself to be a little bit better. And, and now it's like, oh my gosh, how do I feel about, there are days, I'm not going to lie. There are days where I'm just like, I don't know if I'm supposed to like this, but I do. And I'm just going to sit in that for a moment. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. But this is the thing. I mean, like JK Rowling, I think it's like, you know, the obvious, the obvious one, but, um, I mean, you do a quick Google on anything you loved and you can really learn a lot. And I would just encourage people listening to do that with a friend. You know, you can mm-hmm. hear Julie and I chatting. We're laughing. You know, we're having fun. Like, ugh, the icks are better when they're shared. Hello. Hi, I'm Erin Vandevin. Thanks for joining me today. This is Medium Lady Talks. This podcast is about figuring out the medium effort way to get the most out of life today. I hope the things I unpack here can role model and invite you to sort out your own ways to live life in the present. This is a show about experimenting to get closer to what matters most. I'm glad you're here, so let's settle in. Hello, hi, and welcome to Medium Lady Talks. I'm your host, Erin. This is episode 74, 75, 76. Mm, Yeah, we'll figure out what number it is eventually. Today, I have something a little bit different, and I'm super excited to welcome my first co-podcast guest onto the show, another podcast host. Julia Washington is here at Medium Lady Talks today. Hi, Julia. Hi, thank you for having me. So Julia is a writer, producer. Julia is a podcast host based in California. She hosts Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous, which is a show that analyzes pop culture through the lens of race and gender, as well as the Jelly Pops Book Club, a show that compares books to their screen adaptations. You can find her on TikTok at the Julia Washington, where she's trying to realize her dream of becoming a trophy wife. How's it going? How's the dream going? It's, it's not going so great yet. No. I think I No, I had a friend tell me she's like, "Ma'am, I think we're at the age where you are needing to be the sugar mama." And I said, <laughs> "Well, that's not happening." <laughs> it's like, "I look 10 years younger than I actually am. I think I can pull this off." <laughs> I th- I say go for it. Here at Medium Lady, we're all about stepping into the place in the world that's made for you. So, yes. There's a place in the world that's made for you as a trophy wife and we we're just going to keep um, aspiring to it. Yeah. I thank you for your support. I appreciate it. I'm here for you. Um, Julia, I'm so thrilled to have you on the show. I am just a tiny hair bit intimidated to have another podcast host on the show, but thrilled. I know we're, we're both in good company. We're going to have a really mm-hmm. good time. I think so. Tell the audience a little bit more about yourself. Your show is really fascinating. It's filling a really interesting space in the pop culture sphere. Yeah, the pop culture podcasts and analysis, it's like saturated, right? Like everybody's there, but no one's really talking about how it impacts and influences us. Mm -hmm. So what I'm all about, so first of all, I like to tell people that I am comprised of three things, books, television, and movies. (laughs) Like on the surface, that is my personality, essentially. (laughs) Um, And so I think what you know, kind of turned into this whole like recreational thing or what started as a recreational thing turned into a, I'm going to throw my voice out there, do it too, see what happens. I lean into a lot of being a single parent, being a biracial person living in California. These are all things that sort of have morphed my identity. And then, you know, when I wanted to 
do the show, I kind of stepped back and thought, okay, whose voices are really in the mainstream and what are they telling us? And Mm. should we challenge that? Albeit, you know, we're an independent podcast, so it's, you know, on a smaller scale, but it's still somebody will stumble upon it and hopefully be like, yeah, I think Roger Ebert's misogynist too. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad somebody said it. Yeah. So you read 52 of his reviews back to back forever because we pull from Roger Ebert. So a lot of what we do is we pull a lot of um, reviews from the top dogs and you read 52 of his reviews back to back. and You're like, oh, Roger, you hate women. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Got it. Wow. Loud and clear. Yeah, how's that Pulitzer? Because I'm a je- I'm jealous. Oh, and tell me about the title. Pop culture makes me jealous. So it was a lot of. It came from the whole idea of the worlds that we see kind of create this tone in us that we strive for, mm-hmm. um, or like this is what you should be striving for. And so you know you have this influence of. I mean, you see it a lot in reality TV. The influence of reality TV is real. Like, I'm ready for the Kardashian look to go away. And so that's kind of where it comes from. It's like, we're going to talk about how this impacts and influences us. And then naturally through conversation, it was like in the earlier seasons, it was definitely like, oh, we're feeling <laughs> we're feeling a little feeling a little jealous about mm-hmm. some of these things that are happening in the world that happened on TV that we were promised would happen in real life. And they haven't. <laughs> <laughs> how long did you want to have a podcast before you actually had a podcast? Because I've, I've been saying how long I wanted a podcast before I actually, you know, got the courage to actually make one. But um, I'm, I'm curious for you. It actually never occurred to me. Stop. Yeah, I would, you know, go and like meet up with friends and we'd have conversations and I'd pull out my soapbox and stand on it very proudly. (laughs) And then then one day a a friend of mine who I've known since I was 15 was like, you should start a podcast. It's like you are on drugs. <laughs> and she's like, no, I think it'd be really cool. And like you can get out there and you can do the thing, figure out what you want, make it your own, do your thing. It's like, okay. And so I have a friend named Tammy Hackbarth who hosts a podcast. And I reached out to her because her podcast is a hundred percent guilt free self-care is the title. So I reached out to her and I was like, please tell me everything about podcasting. I have no idea. I literally work for the government at this point in, in the conversation. We're in the middle of COVID. So I'm just like <laughs> dying inside because I'm a creative working in a bureaucratic system. And she took the time, walked me through everything. Then I went to my techie kid and was like, help me understand the tech. Mm-hmm. And he did. And then it just kind of what it just exploded. And then it was like, oh, I, that soapbox should have been a microphone the whole time. <laughs> Fantastic. I love that story. I talked to so many women in the last year who have said this, 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 and this, 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 and then the pandemic hit. And now here I am. Yeah. And I was working for the government running their social media and they were like, hey, we need somebody out at the Joint Information Center. It's also called a JIC. And it's where they bring all different types of employees to come together and sort of do the messaging and you turn out the messaging that you're sending out to your community. And they're like, we need you in charge of our social media. And I was like, cool. Yeah, it'll be quick, easy two weeks of my life. And mind you, the government was already draining my soul, you know, and I'm convinced I was born to be an eccentric creative anyway. But it's like, how do you achieve that when you have student loans and (laughs) child? (laughs) 
Right. Yeah. Um, and then it was just like, and then so spending two years of my life, essentially creating messaging, managing a media studio, producing live shows, doing all this stuff. It turned into, you know what I don't like? Social media for business purposes. I'm done. Mm -hmm. Like, thank you guys. I want to go back to being a weirdo online. (laughs) And never looked back. And never looked back. (laughs) Hey, I love it. I love that. I really love that. You and I connected off and on recently, not too deep into each other's social circles, but we have many mutual friends. We connected very specifically about a meme going around about how the real villain of The Little Mermaid is not Ursula, but it's actually King Triton. And I had to immediately talk with someone qualified like yourself (laughs) because it has been living rent free in my mind since then, ever since that moment. So like, what do we think about this? Does it change everything? It it changes everything. And it also makes absolute perfect sense. Because how many times in The Little Mermaid did Ariel stand before her father and say, daddy, 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 trying to explain to him her feelings, her emotions, what she was experiencing. And he literally says, silence. <laughs> He was telling us from the beginning that he was the problem. And, you know, we have this weird culture, I guess, where you could say that, like, it's easy for kids to be, you know, we lean into this kids should be seen and not heard. And um, Mm -hmm. teenagers are emotional and erratic so that so we don't have to listen to them. So it's kind of under that that gets lost, that he's literally doing nothing to support his daughter. Yeah. He's operating out of fear and he's trying really, really hard to be the head bitch in charge. And it's just not a vibe. And and the, the main driver for him is for her to just fall in love and kind of get out of his hair. Mm-hmm. Right? He's sort of like tickled pink that maybe she's in love and like that would be really, really great, but only on his terms, you know, only mm-hmm. in the context which would be acceptable to him. It's really funny how... So much of this pop culture from the early 90s and probably the late 80s, too. I just turned 40. I'm not sure um, how old you are, but I find that those of us who really remember times before the Internet, Mm -hmm. we wore out our VHS tapes of The Little Mermaid, Mm -hmm. right? I could rewind with a sixth sense my cassette of The Little Mermaid soundtrack so that I could play part of your world over and over and Mm -hmm. over and over again. And so these things are ingrained in us in a way where our childhood brains had a lot of time and a lot of space to consume this media and consume it on repeat in a way where there was not as much variety as there is now. Mm -hmm. And so to rewatch this as an adult, when you have bigger ideas in your head, you have a bigger sense of the social constructs at play. You also understand that there are people writing that story for you, for Mm -hmm. children. And what is the point of view that we're trying to send? And what is the message that we're, what are the choices that we're making about that message? How are we going to sell it? You know, all of these things start to sort of like peel away the bright, shiny layer of me in grade one with my pink glasses, which I still have, rewinding and replaying part of your world. Mm And there's a little bit of fragility there, I think, among us elder millennials. It's like, please don't take my my sweet, sweet childhood away from right. me. Please don't make Triton. Triton is daddy. Don't make Triton the bad guy. You must talk about this all the time. We do. And that's really what we get into in the meat of the show is like, how did this 
impact us and form our opinions and ideas. Right. I've said that earlier. And like you with Little Mermaid, it was like, how can I sing this song to everybody? I'm going to give you a performance because I am Ariel now. Yeah. But also what we're learning is this subconsciousness that's coming into us. So we're not really thinking deeply about it. And that's the thing about when it comes to a lot of the media that we consume, it's really easy to write off any sort of entertainment and be like, it's just entertainment. Mm -hmm. But then when you start to really look at things and criticize things and be analytical about things, it's like, it's not as simple as that. There's always something there. And in my experience in my own life, in my profession, we're always, what's the end goal? What's the story we're trying to tell? What's What are the themes? How do we get from A to B? And even though you could argue it's just a simple, sweet story, the origin story of The Little Mermaid, not Disney, is not right. a happy-go-lucky fairy tale. None of them are. None of them are. Disney packaged it in a way that was like consumable for people so they weren't horrified. But it's this space where it's kind of like, how did that impact me in terms of how I present myself to men and how I go into dating and what I think the expectation should be, right? And it's, I want to say it's, I would love to say that I've never dated a person that my parents super approved of because of rebellion. But at the same time, it's like how much of it got convoluted between like, what did King Triton's response was when, when Mm -hmm. Ariel was in love and how was my parents response when I was in love like what is the message about love that we're getting here how is this informing us just like how they talk about how beauty and the beast is Stockholm syndrome you know we're all obsessed with the bookcase but really it's like fall in love with your abuser it's fine (laughs) I wonder though like how do we reconcile that because I think the hard part and maybe maybe you can help me with this is If I turn my back on The Little Mermaid and I say, that's really a story and a narrative that I no longer subscribe to as an adult, Little Mermaid is canceled for me. Then I'm also, I feel like a little bit of betrayal to that Mm. like seven-year-old Aaron who just like wanted to get the hair flip right and the arch and like the splash behind me. And I love seeing people recreate that in their pools right Mm -hmm. now. It's so good. You know, and there's so many things that we're finding are like maybe a little bit problematic or a lot of it problematic. And we're also raising kids now. Mm -hmm. So how much of our own childhood pop culture do we turn our back on or do we just continue to consume, you know, you know better, you do better? Like, where do you walk the line between continued consumption and cancel culture, I guess? That's a really great question because I think it's different for everybody. So I have a friend who will not show early Disney stuff to their children until they're old enough to have those conversations. And I think if I had, I had my son really young, I was 20. Mm -hmm. Um, And Mm -hmm. I think that if I had had a child when all of my friends were having children, I probably Mm -hmm. would have done the same thing. But it's interesting that you pose that question because my friend Natalie and I actually host a show called Still Comfy, where we go back and look at all the things that we loved Mm. in in childhood and that we were constantly rewatching and finding comfort in. And sort of break it down and decide, are we still comfy with it? Are we still going to watch it? And in those Mm -hmm. conversations, there's a lot of stuff where I'm like, I'm going to acknowledge that this is a problem, but I'm also going to keep it in my rotation because the comfort it brings to me overrides the problem. But now I have the language to talk about 
this is an issue. Yeah. Like, for example, my son and I were, well, I was watching Breakfast at Tiffany's. My son just happened to walk in and out all the time. Yeah. And one of the scenes where Mickey, Mickey Rooney, Rooney is yeah. not, and he, my son's like, what is this? And I was like, have I never forced you to watch this movie? And he said, no. And I said, no, now I understand why. But if you want to sit down, because, you, you know, I watched it since I was a child. But I said to him, I said, if you want to sit down and watch it with me, we can have a conversation about like why it's a good film, but also why there's some really bad stuff in it too. Yeah. 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 I love that. I, I'm, I'm trying to role model and lean into that like wholehearted, open hearted, you know, yes. And kind of mm-hmm. conversations with mm-hmm. my kids. I have three boys. We've watched the little mermaid and I had a vague memory of, my son Henry and my son William, who's really sensitive, he's the older of the two of the three, the oldest. And he said, But why? Why is he so mad? Mm. Why? Why? And I said, Well, it's just a story. Like, you know, the fish and the humans don't mix. And I really did not think of like I I did not get the like, you know, parenting opportunity. Did you know? <laughs> yeah. I was like, shh. I think I made them watch it. Let me enjoy my moment. Yeah. 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 I was like, I was seven. You're seven now. Yeah. My son Henry is seven. Let's talk about the flip side, because if if Triton is the villain, then where does that leave Ursula? So I actually think Ursula is sort of this representation of feminism that gets a bad rap. Yeah. Because she comes off. You know, in as I remember her as a child, she was mm-hmm. sort of this scary, witchy type thing, and we're not meant to like her. But then when I rewatched it recently, so I went and saw the live action Little Mermaid, and then I was like, I need to see the cartoon too, because there's some stuff that's verbatim, and then they've changed some stuff, and I need to see it. And when I was watching the live action one, it, that's when it really set in for me, where it was like, oh, Ursula's feminism she is mm-hmm. 100% liberated and she's trying to take down triton because he is the patriarchy mm-hmm. but she's framed in a way that is bad like you don't want to have these bad you know it's just it's just this sort of like isn't this scary do you really want to live like this sort of tone? like ursula yeah well, I mean, Ursula is not quite as straightforward as being like the pillar of feminism. She's an oppressor, too. She is. But we're also <laughs> seeing her through Ariel's lens. Very good point. If we were to see her through someone else's lens, say her eels or I don't know, someone else in the sea who doesn't find her to be horrific, what would she look like? Yeah. Yeah. And that's a really important part of a lot of the stories that we every single story we consume is like. Who are we perceiving our characters through the eyes of? It's not actually our own eyes. It's Mm -hmm. the eyes of whoever is holding the, well, a lot of the time, it's the eyes of whoever's holding power in the cultural narrative. Mm -hmm. Or it's the eyes of the main character and we're right. acting as proxies for that person because it's a, that's the exciting part of consuming pop culture is the vicarious nature of kind of getting immersed in a story especially through like a compelling protagonist mm-hmm. i think about ursula in terms of so many things the pitch of her voice is lower mm-hmm. she has a really distinct hairstyle her makeup Mm -hmm. is distinct her body Mm -hmm. is distinct she takes up a lot of space even when she dies at the end of the movie spoiler alert (laughs) she (laughs) she's 
she's grotesque and enormous and repulsive. Mm-hmm. And King Triton, for whatever backstory that we'll never know, is at the crux of her demise. Mm-hmm. And yet he remains kind of untainted. He gets to embrace his daughter and send her. For some reason, he decides she can be a human after all. In the end, we'll never know why. And gosh, like, I'll never see that movie again the same way. For the better, right? And yeah. like, I'm excited and happy to know that, you know, I can see it. I can see it as a a cartoon or as Mm -hmm. an animated movie. And I can Mm -hmm. also see it for how would we retell this if we were going to see it from the the eyes of somebody who, you know, admired Ursula? Yeah, that I would love to see that, you know, Mm -hmm. because I think that's always a fun thing to do. And there's a really interesting show on stars called Blind Spotting, which Mm -hmm. had the movie. I don't have you seen it? No. Oh my gosh. But the it started as a movie in 2018. It's based in Oakland. Oakland's not that far from me. So of course I was like, yes, give me Oakland content. Thank you. <laughs> and the movie is through this character Colin's lens. And he's freshly out of prison. He's very skit or no, he's not. He's like almost a year out of prison. So he's on probation for a year. Parole. The point is, is he's very close to his one year where he can start living freely again, because when you're on probation or parole, you still mm-hmm. have all these restrictions. So we see a lot this character, Miles, through Colin's lens. And it's very chaotic. It's very stressful because you do not want Colin to get caught. Right. Up. Right. You want him to. He's working so hard. He's doing the work he's working his job so then the creators of the show create a tv show and it's about miles and his girlfriend ashley and their son sean and it's almost a 180 in miles's character because now we're seeing miles through ashley's lens Mm -hmm. and it becomes this beautiful love story and it becomes a story it's still a story about incarceration Mm -hmm. and how that tears families apart and the system is broken you still get all of that but now you're seeing miles as this loving partner Mm -hmm. this loving dad Mm -hmm. who's Mm self-sacrificing and it's just it's so you watch the movie and then you watch seasons one and two and you're like how is that the same person but i think it adds Excuse me. It adds to the depths of character when you do it that way. Yeah. Yeah. And I know we're talking about The Little Mermaid, which is, you know, meant to be a children's movie. But I just think we're at a really exciting time in pop the pop culture conversation where we can take a movie like The Little Mermaid and be critical of it and bringing really really great nuanced ways of talking about things like feminism, talking about things like the patriarchy, talking about things like size bias, talking about things like ability mm-hmm. and disability and ableism. Mm-hmm. This guy seemingly falling for a girl with no voice, you know, a woman with a voice comes along and, you know, that's obviously a better, more whole person to fall in love with and marry. Now, he was under the spell of a shell and all those other things. That's fine. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> Isn't it great to have that conversation with these things that I feel like I know deeply the story at a cellular level, you know, like I Mm -hmm. can tell you the point in the movie when she pinches the shrimp, Ursula, and she applies the lipstick because it's such a great scene. That is a gesture that is like imprinted on my brain. Mm -hmm. This time around with Little Mermaid. The other thing that I thought was really interesting was the conversation of the no mixing. Oh. Especially in the live action version. So I haven't seen the live action version. And I have a confession, which is I have you on the show. You're a pop culture expert. I consume 
very, a very small <laughs> margin of pop culture. Well, you have three children, so you're forgiven. <laughs> I can tell you about Bluey. Yeah. Which is, that's pop culture for kids. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Like, that's pop. Yeah. But in the live action version, you know, there's this huge conversation about, like, we don't go, I mean, it's in the, it's in the cartoon as well. It's in the animated as well. We don't go to the surface. Humans are bad. Yeah. We stay away yeah. from humans. But it was so present in the live action version to me. And then I had to sit with that because I thought, is it was that heavy for me? Like messaging for me? Because now I'm really paying attention to what's happening in the States when it comes to personal rights and freedoms. Yeah. My parents are an interracial couple. They've been married since 1971. There's a lot Mm. there. And so hearing this, we don't mix message over and over and over again. So even though that meme was like, yes, I totally can get behind this theory. The other part of it for me was like, I actually kind of also like if you remove it from the feminist lens and take it from the lens of integration, Mm -hmm. I loved how the King Triton, because, you know, white men always win, even though in the movie, in the live action, he's not um, white. But like, I love how King Triton's like, you know what? You're in love with a human. I'll allow it. Like, but I hate the I'll allow it part. I, I feel like it's more of a I accept that we're going to cohabitate now and that you will be that bridge. And that mm-hmm. this time really hit hard. I was just like, yes, be the bridge. Let's all cohabitate peacefully, please. The planet belongs to all of us. But that's wonderful. <laughs> but that's wonderful. And I think even recasting can bring additional parts of the conversation to the narrative. Like, you know, mixing people and humans when everybody's white is about mixing people and humans. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about mixing, mixing when the main character is this beautiful, stunning black woman... And Prince Eric is still, you know, looking like Prince Eric. Yeah, like they plucked him out of the movie. Right. Made him a real person. I was like, how did you do that? (laughs) (laughs) But I I think that that's fantastic. That's great. You know, and hopefully there's an awareness of that kind of storytelling. Because it does feel like when you go back, and I think The Little Mermaid was 89, or you Mm -hmm. probably know better than I do. Yeah. But um, how much of an awareness was there of that cultural conversation regarding... This father is oppressing his daughter. And what other choice does she have but to go to the witch down the street? And how many fairy tales are about that? You know, women who are backed into a corner and have to go and talk to the outcast Mm -hmm. to find a way forward. Yeah, it happens all the time. We were just, I just watched something. Oh, again, Breakfast at Tiffany's. I was like, duh, I was watching Breakfast at Tiffany's. And it was different this time because Holly Golightly is, you know, she's trying to survive. It's 1961. Mm -hmm. She's left a husband she didn't actually want. And, you know, what is she going to do? She's a high school dropout. What skills does she have other than being pretty, which is huge currency still today in this era we're in now. And so I had a different perspective this time watching it. And it and it just kind of was like, gosh, we're in this sort of redemption era where we now realize the errors of our ways from Mm. the generations past Mm -hmm. with the way we treated starlets and how we talked about them, how they were portrayed in media. And I think a lot of that is because you have folks like 
Paris Hilton, Lindsay Lohan, mm-hmm. Britney mm-hmm. Spears saying, uh, we were abused. You guys had no idea what was going on. And this is the way you talked about us. We got, you know, they're really standing up for this was not okay. And then as we are becoming more self-actualized, a lot of us are realizing, yeah, that was actually bad. We yeah. shouldn't have done that. But we didn't know any better. But now that we do know better, let's continue to be better. Right. I mean, even the Brooke Shields and Drew Barrymore has been a huge person talking, you know, in lots of painful ways. Jeanette yeah. McCurdy's, um, yeah. which is actually much more recent than even the Lindsay Lohan's and Paris Hilton's, mm-hmm. you know, Jeanette McCurdy's memoir, I'm Glad My Mom Died. Yeah. Um, you know, lots of just kind of things that everybody knew about, but nobody talked about and all for the sake of Hollywood, you know, for one reason or another. But I think that it's hard. You and I are in a place where we're excited to talk about it. There's not that many people out there who are excited to talk about it because it's hard to look back and say, I enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. I loved Britney Spears. And who am I now to have loved this person that was being harmed? Mm -hmm. You know, what does that say about me if I got hours of enjoyment out of consuming media that was created for me at at the harm of somebody else? You know, it makes us feel ugly. It's an interesting space to be in because then it does sort of force that reckoning within ourselves. But I think what's great about that is then it makes us better in the way we treat people moving forward. Yeah. I was telling my, again, my bringing up my co-host Natalie again, we were just having this conversation yesterday or the day before about it's really hard sometimes to interact with people who say the words and say they're doing the things to dismantle the patriarchy, to enlighten themselves about racial prejudice and working on anti-racism stuff. But then they turn around and uphold it in some way. Mm-hmm. And that's really hard because you're having these conversations with people and through those conversations, you're realizing they're doing things to uphold it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And whether or not they see it that way, that's they're not there yet in their journey, in their process. But, you know, I'm tired. My husband doesn't help around the house and I'm so mad at him and I'm so angry and all these things. But then there's no conversation with him. There's no steps to improve the situation. So that way, you know, it becomes more equitable in your home. And then you turn around and sort of tell your daughter the same thing, right? Right. Where it's like, hey, I'm sorry that little boy hit you, but you still need to apologize. Mm, He probably likes you. Whereas I'm in the camp of that little boy hit you. You don't want to apologize. Cool. Let's talk about it when you're ready. We can have a conversation with him when your emotions are are a little more steady. Mm -hmm. But not Mm -hmm. everyone's there. And I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm not. But it's just it's this point where now it's like it's you really do start to begin to see it when you do the work in yourself to be a little bit better and and now it's like oh my gosh how do I feel about there are days I'm not gonna lie there are days where I'm just like I don't know if I'm supposed to like this but I do and I'm just gonna sit in that for a moment (laughs) (laughs) it's so true it's so true I recently launched a second podcast all about books and one of our first episodes with my co-host Jillian O'Keefe was about the books that turned us into readers. Mm. And I have a deep love of science fiction. And so I talked about Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card. And I thought, Mm -hmm. I'm just going to check if this guy's problematic. Yeah. You never know. Well, gosh darn it. Yeah, there's a long track record of Orson Scott Card being a huge homophobic racist. Oh. And so, you know, but but this is the thing. I mean, like J.K. Rowling, I think, yeah. becomes like, you know, the obvious, the obvious one. 
But Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you do a quick Google on anything you loved and you can really learn a lot. And I would just encourage people listening to do that with a friend. You know, you can Mm -hmm. hear Julia and I chatting. We're laughing. You know, we're having fun. Like the icks are better when they're shared. So you don't have to feel like a garbage human um, because we all we all love the Little Mermaid. You know, we can all still love the Little Mermaid. Truly. You know, we don't have to turn our back on her. Um, maybe Triton. Like, if there's Triton stands out there, you probably you need to check yourself. Um, we were going to talk about another Disney movie. We were going to talk about Aladdin. Aladdin's got a whole... I mean, Aladdin's it's his own episode. Aladdin yes. gets his own episode. I agree. Yeah. There's a lot going on to talk about, about with Aladdin. So maybe you'll have to come back on the show another time. I would love um, that. Yeah. I would love to pivot uh, from Disney, which is obviously really hard to do. There's, there's a lot there. <laughs> there's so much. To chat a little bit about your own podcast and your book club. You know, we've just spent the last half hour having a delightful conversation about pop culture. What do you think from your point of view and your expertise, what is it about pop culture that is just so darn comforting, but also stimulating and exciting at the same time? Gosh, that's a really great question. I think for me personally, being a little girl in California in an ag heavy part of California, predominantly white, being darker than my peers, I think pop culture has always shown me what the world is like outside of that. Mm. And I loved it as a kid because it Mm -hmm. was this is what the future could look like. Oh, and then now as an adult, I'm very, very obsessed with how it impacts and influences our lives, as I've mentioned Mm -hmm. before. But there's something about it where you can kind of disassociate. Yeah. But still can reflect. And it's just there's just like the other day I was telling my friend, I was like, you know, I'm really upset about this Cosby business for a lot of reasons. But one of them is I'm having a real hard day and we grew up on Cosby and I just want to watch the episode. And I listed the episode I want to watch because I know it's going to make me feel better. I know it's going to bring me joy. It's going to be the balm I need to feel the freedom of childhood again. But I don't know if I can do it. Yeah. Yeah. And what do your friends say? And my friend was like, is there something else? And I said, yes, family ties. I will go see if I can stream family ties. Because <laughs> those were the two. My dad would record them off the TV and yeah, we'd watch course. them on VHS, you know, on sick days. And so those were the two shows that was just like, this is freedom. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's so true. But it's like the sick days. Wow, you just took me back the VHS on sick days. <laughs> yes. Holy smokes. Whoa, that's a that is a thing, right? You know, and even my kids, I watch them and they love to repeat episodes. Mm-hmm. They know I need Bluey season 2 episode 3. That's going to be my sweet spot. And then they want to start it there because they know after three comes four, then five, then six. And they understand the cadence, the exact cadence of how they're going to have that served up to them. And it is absolutely so comforting. Is it always the repetition, though? Because there is something like there is something about like new media or new new pop culture. I think it's I think it's. I know what's coming. Mm. So I ha- I can go into it with zero expectations because I know exactly what's going to happen. And that's the comforting part. Mm-hmm. So this is like a nice, cozy, broken in hoodie mm-hmm. that I don't have to worry about <laughs> yeah. being yeah. uncomfortable in any way, shape, or form. I know it fits. Yeah. I know it fits. 
And so, because sometimes with new TV shows, I have like I just watched based on a true story, which is on Peacock, and it's about a crime podcast. And a four, like three or four people reached out, and they're like, "We think that you have to watch it. You'll love it. You have to watch it. We want to know what you think." So in episode one, I don't do horror movies. Yeah, I curate my world of rom coms and light drama for a reason. Yeah, same, same. Yeah, and so there's there's a murder in the first few scenes and not a cozy murder no it's pretty graphic <laughs> and so I messaged somebody I oh, no. I messaged one of the people that I'm close to and I was like how dare you not warn me that this was how it opens I am offended and we might be through <laughs> we're not but it was just like I was not <laughs> expecting so when I Pop on Family Ties or Gilmore Girls or, yeah. you know, hanging with Mr. Cooper. I know what to expect. I know what's happening. I know when when the funny things are going to happen or if it's a little more intense. I know when the jump scares are going to happen. Like, it's rough day. I don't want to – I want to disassociate. Let's put on my friends. So what's the parallel track to that with your book club? Because that's a very similar vibe at your book club, which is book adaptations or film mm-hmm. adaptations of books. Yeah. Films that have been adapted back into books. Do you have, are there those? There are actually, but we, so with the podcast, because we pulled in a lot of like articles and then we pulled in a lot of stuff. And then I had people on the show who picked titles that were also books. And it's like, oh, I also read that book. So we're going to compare the two on the show. Then we created a Patreon because we're like, uh, we people were like, we want more content. And I was like, cool, you have to pay me for that because <laughs> that's a lot of work. <laughs> I mean, I love it. I love doing it. But, it, you know, it hit the point where it's like, I can't do that for free. Yeah. So then part of one of the perks became, OK, so we'll host a monthly book club. What's the theme that makes sense? And. I looked at our catalog of what we had covered and it's like, it makes sense for us to cover book to screen adaptations because Mm -hmm. that that aligns with what the show does in the sense of we're analyzing pop culture. And the people who are like, yes, give us more content. We're like, we love that idea. Let's do that. And I was like, cool, because I love comparing book to screen adaptations. I actually wrote an entire course for it for a college level course when I was in graduate school out of spite because every book we read was by a white man. (laughs) I was like, there are more things we could be studying, but whatever. Um, so, so I took that sort of concept of what I did in grad school and transferred it to the book club. And it's been so much fun. We've mostly read women or people of color. Mm -hmm. And then the whole, the best part, in my opinion, is you can read the book or you can watch the screen adaptation and still come to class and still come to club (laughs) because we're not going to ding you for watching the screen version and talking about that because we want to know the differences. How did they change it? Was the change good or bad? Does it decrease the integrity of the story? Does it make it worse like how did the screenwriter potentially fail or like Mm -hmm. how did they do it well and it's been so much fun and because (laughs) I do so much research because I'm a nerd kind of I was like I have all of this research I'm bored because I get bored easily once I've sort of formulated things and everything's kind of on autopilot I'm like I need a new challenge yeah yeah that's where that podcast came from Because it was like, well, we're just going to take everything that doesn't land in book club and turn it into a show, 15, 20 minutes, maybe 30, and just drop it in the airwaves and see what happens. So right now it's only available through Patreon because Mm -hmm. it's where that's just 
that's where I'm dropping all the stuff. But later this month or um, later in the summer of 23, it'll come to the public airwaves, if you will. But it's been so much fun. And we had one Patreon person. We call him Jelly Pops Best Friends Club. And pop culture makes me jealous. Somebody was like, I was like, we need a nickname because I can't keep writing pop culture. It makes me jealous. It's so long. Who did who like everyone's like, that's a great name. That's a great name. And I was like, cool, I'll run with it. And then it's like you type it out and you're like, this shit is so long. <laughs> like, I need a nickname. And a friend of mine was like, we could just be like jelly pops. It would be fun. And I was like, I love that because there's it's so perfect. much you can. Do. Yeah, there's so much you can do with that visually. And like, it's just fun. Um, so that's where the name came from. So, yeah, it's been so much fun. And people in the book club have said things like, I have not read fiction in a long, long time. So thank you for hosting this because it oh. forces me. Or if I don't have time to read it, I can listen to your playback and it's really helpful. And like, then I can still feel like I'm getting a story. And I was like, I love that. Read the book. But I love that. <laughs> You know, COVID took this weird thing away from us, and so did streaming in a lot of ways, whereby Lost, Lost, the television show, I don't know mm -hmm. if you watched it, is the last thing I remember being like must-see TV. Right. Where you really had to be in the right place at the right time to participate in this cultural experience so that the next day you could go to work or go to the mommy group or go talk to your neighbor about that experience. Yeah. There's so much that has changed since then in terms of how we consume way more asynchronously with one mm. another. Whereas mm. it used to be this synchronized experience that we would then contrast and compare. And I think people are still really hungry for that water cooler kind of conversation. And we're just creating new ways to have community about it. And we're actually getting to have really cool ways to um, to amplify the voices of people who can lead that conversation outside of, you know, like opening up your TV guide and seeing what whatever that person you know that mm -hmm. male white white male writer for that you know column has to say about about you know the sep and walls of the world and like sep and walls great but but same same but different i guess um, yeah yeah but but that's an awesome opportunity you're actually making me think you know you said that you had created the book club out of a previous experience building a course and so many book to film adaptations are children's books. Mm -hmm. And my kids have a really hard time with that. Oh, interesting. They have a really hard time with with book to film adaptations. I mean, Harry Potter's like the major one. Mm -hmm. But my son has a real issue with watching movies that are from books that are particularly like hefty and long. Mm -hmm. And he gets to a point where he starts to get really objectionable during the movie. He's like, they've cut out so much. This doesn't right. make any sense. And I'm like, right. well, listen, like what decisions would you make? Why do you think they made those decisions? You know, but wouldn't that be great to have in school? You know, it's like, let's get reading. Let's talk about the movie and let's talk about the difference between the two and who was in power to make those choices. Right. And why do you disagree with them? Yes, it's my favorite conversation to have, actually. And I used to be firmly in the camp of like, ugh, screen annotations are always trash. Why do we even bother? But then when I took this class for all its grievances I have with it, it really did open that door of like, oh, these are two different mediums. Yeah. So you have to make decisions based on that audience. Mm -hmm. And then it turned into 
because we were only studying white male authors and that made me very irritated. It turned into, well, how do we look at the work that's done by people who are women or people of color, specifically black people is where I sort of turned my lens. Mm -hmm. And how are we interpreting those stories for screen in a way that's still doing it, keeping the integrity of the story there. And I think one of the things that I pulled up in my research for the class, because we had to write a final paper, was I think it's the Hunger Games where like everyone was livid about Lenny Kravitz being cast. Oh, God. Like, why? And I was like, first of all, I don't know why you're angry about looking at Lenny Kravitz, but whatever. <laughs> There's a but- little character, a young girl who dies, who was cast as a black actress and the I think is is described as black in the book, but many readers had missed it, had missed that she was a black character. Yes. And that's one of the things that came up was like, hey, these characters in Hunger Games that you're angry about. And I, it was some obscure article I found, so I couldn't actually use it because the school was pretty strict about what kind of resources we were using. Because I, I think it might have actually been a blog and that was like strictly forbidden. Right. But it was like <laughs> that was the point. Right. They were like the the writer did not necessarily like say this is a black character but they didn't say they weren't a white character so they could cast whoever they wanted right and the internet was so i mean i remember twitter was so upset about it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i stayed off twitter for a while because of it and so those kinds of decisions too like i became very fascinated with all of that then in my one of my final classes before school was over it was like hey you if you want to become a teacher take this course so you can learn how to craft whatever. And I took it. And that was the class I built was film to screen adaptations. And because this, it was called film to fiction. And it was, even though I learned a lot, it was still really kind of a disappointing class because I love books and I love movies. And I didn't really feel like I learned what I wanted to learn. Mm. So I took what they did teach us. And I kind of was like, all right, YouTube university, here I come. (laughs) (laughs) And then in, in sort of dove head first in that. And my son's grandfather was a teacher for over 40 years. So I bounced everything off of him because I wanted to make sure that what we were doing was reaching all different types of learning styles. And it ended up being so much fun. So then I've just been trying really hard to get schools to hire me to teach it. Nobody's interested, which is fine. They're not ready. I understand. So a version of that exists through our book club. (laughs) Well, I think you're building an empire off of that. I hope so. (laughs) These student loans aren't going anywhere. Yeah, God. Oh, my gosh. That is the truth. That is the truth. I have a couple final questions for you. This conversation is just like giving me life. Oh, I'm so glad. A lot. Yeah. um, A lot of people use pop culture to numb out. But you seem to really encourage people to use it to like discover more about their own identity, their own likes, their own dislikes. You know, how did you how did you get to that place? You know, we've talked a little bit about like some of your stepping stones along the way. You ended up in a government job. You always wanted to be an eccentric creative. Mm -hmm. Do you want to like go back in time a little bit? Like, you know, what were the what were the stepping stones on that path? I think a lot of it was mostly rooted in represent lacking representation. Yeah. So, you know, the first exposure to the Cosby's who I mentioned earlier was like, this is the first time I'm seeing the black side of my family on TV. Mm -hmm. And then it turned into craving like, okay, so why and craving that? And then it was like, okay, but then why does this feel different compared to say 
like hanging with Mr. Cooper or yeah. different from like Martin, which I wasn't supposed to be watching because I was too young, but I did anyway, or <laughs> like other types of black shows. Like why is the, like, what is it about the black representation that makes me feel most aligned with the way that the, co- that the Huxtables existed? Mm. And then, and then it turns into, well, there's also this Italian side of my family. And why is it that Godfather feels like those aren't my people? <laughs> what is that about you know and so that's kind of where it came from and because at the time when I was growing up and I still live in the city in which I was raised at the time the black population was very very small so the exposure we had was very very limited Mm -hmm. and I actually don't know if we had any Italian people around and if we did we didn't my mom didn't seek them out so it was a lot of like how do I find my people but through pop culture? Yeah. Yeah. Community. Mm-hmm. Wow. And also not fitting those narratives, too, because here sure. we are. My parents were theater people, and then here all three of us show up, and we're like, hello. And like, <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> you know, so it's, that's, a, that's really the root of it. Have you found that experience healing? In some ways, yeah, because then it's like, oh, thank God we're realizing that the black experience is wide and varied and not so linear and not so just one story. And that feels really great. And then my son recently watched The Sopranos and I haven't seen The Sopranos. And Mm -hmm. he goes, Mom, you really need to watch The Sopranos because this is what it's like when we go to family reunions on Grandma's side. Okay. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm going to take your word for it. A little uh, pop culture makes me jealous, like side series, just like yeah. The Sopranos. <laughs> You're going to be binging The Sopranos with your audience. I know. I know. There's, I I've never like... seen The Sopranos. There's a lot of people who haven't seen it. I'm sure would love would love your take. We'll do a watch along. <laughs> yeah. That's right. I would love to have you back on the show sometime. I hope you'll come back. Yes, I would love to. This has just been really great. You know, here at Medium Lady Talks, we're talking a lot about like stepping into the place in the world that's made for you, which is hard. It's hard to do. Like it's easier to show up. It's easier to people please. It's easier to try to be perfect all the time. But, you know, conversation with a good friend about a TV show can really feed your soul. It can really help mm-hmm. you feel seen in the ways that will probably surprise you. So that um, hopefully is a little bit of what you're getting from Julia and I chatting today. Julia, if we could sign off, I would love to know from you because you're you're definitely consuming way more high quality pop culture than I am. <laughs> uh, what are the three pieces of pop culture you think are underrated that you want the medium lady community to binge or read or listen to on repeat? Okay, so I actually, because since I said I'm made up of books, TV, and movies, I picked one from each category. I'm so glad. Yeah. So this movie is going to maybe freak some people out if they try, but just hang with it if you want to. If you're a Michael Jackson fan, I know the conversation about Michael Jackson. I understand. I get it. With that said, Moonwalker came out in like 1988. Probably the reason why I never did hallucinogenics because it is a trippy movie. So maybe don't watch it with small children, even though the first time I saw it, I was four. Um, Impressionable. I like it. Yes. Yes. I was like, I hate tarantulas because of this movie. But it opens with Michael Jackson doing a concert and then it devolves in this crazy claymation type of film where he goes through all these these different scenarios and he's like, it's very much his commentary on the pop, the way the paparazzi treats him and the way his fans treat him 
combined with his music and again very like crazy scenes of dancing and there's like a rabbit he dances with and then like there's like this roller coaster heat ride he goes on that comes to life like it is a literal trip without being high (laughs) you can actually my son recently alerted me to the fact that the full thing is on youtube amazing i was gonna say where do we get it okay youtube the whole thing is on youtube (laughs) and i was like cool because grandpa has a copy and i was gonna just borrow his in regards to television high fidelity hulu original starring zoe kravitz it's based on the nick hornby novel of the same name and it also has an adaptation um, from 1999 starring john cusack but what the zoe kravitz version does is it takes this music obsessed person experiencing heartbreak and doubt and it is a little bit more timeless and a lot less misogynistic than the book and the movie. It's very, very good. It didn't get a second season. It's so heartbreaking. It didn't get a second season, but it's really good. And I think it's only eight episodes. Love that. It's fantastic. It's so good. Anyway, and then the book recommendation would be The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. It's the story of two twin sisters. Have you read it? I have. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, it is really good. Two twin sisters, they leave their hometown. It's a primarily light-skinned black community. One sister comes back to the hometown with a daughter who's a little bit darker in tone, and everyone in the community is like, what is happening? The other do- the other sister moves away and lives in a life of passing and tells no one she's black. It's a really good conversation about... Family, sisterhood, race, changing times. And I heard it's going to be adapted for screen. I haven't heard anything more recently other than when um, I forget who bought the rights to do it, but whether when other than when the rights were sold for it to be adapted. Amazing. Great recommendations. OK, Moonwalker 1988. We love something from the archives. Yeah, it's so good. I mean, sorry, I was posting about it last week on Instagram and a friend of mine was like, that movie is terrifying. I will never come on your show to talk about it. And I was like, you thought it was terrifying? (laughs) Like, I'm so confused. (laughs) So I don't know, maybe this ruins my credibility. I have no idea. (laughs) Well, listen, like the the audience will tell you. We'll find out. It's accessible. It's on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, High Fidelity. Mm-hmm. The TV adaptation. Yes, it's on Hulu. And The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Julia, thanks so much for coming on the show today. This was a lot of fun. A lot, a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed our chat. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. Julia and I, we totally appreciate and are grateful for your focus and attention. We know that your time is precious. And the fact that you chose to spend it with us today means the world to us. Don't forget, you're doing such a good job. And we will talk to you again soon. Bye. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. Please make sure to reach out and connect on Instagram with me. I can be found at medium.lady over there. If you have any feedback about today's conversation, you can head to the pink tile in my feed for the latest episode and we can always continue the conversation over there. If you like this podcast, please make sure to share a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you love this podcast, please share it on social media. Be sure to tag me so I can personally thank you for growing our community. Finally, be sure to follow this podcast wherever you're listening and make sure your notifications are on. Don't forget, you're doing such a good job. 
बाय